everybody. Welcome back to another fantastic episode of Lit. I am so excited to see everybody here. And I'm so excited to welcome a brand new guest, Trevor Denning. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me on. I am so excited to talk about this book with you today because this has been one of my favorite newer reads. Uh, What we're talking about tonight, everybody, is Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. Uh, This book is crazy. It's interesting, uh, very much a space odyssey, and it's super nerdy. I love it. Uh, What were your just general thoughts about it? Well, like you, I listened to the audiobook and was just blown away. I mean, there's a reason why it won so many um, audio awards. As for the story itself, it's not the sort of thing that I would normally move toward. Um, I'm not really that sciencey myself, but I love a good story. And this is definitely a good story. I'm glad you brought up that you're not necessarily sciencey yourself. I'm super sciencey, but the fact that this book is able to bridge so many gaps, despite being sort of niche sciencey, but also a fantastic story means it's accessible to every type of reader. And I just love that about Andy Weir's storytelling. Um, So just to kind of give the audience a little glimpse into what we're reading, if you haven't read Project Hail Mary before, like always, I'm just going to read the summary off the back of the book, give you a glimpse of it and see what y'all think. So Ryland Grace is the sole survivor on a desperate last chance mission. And if he fails, humanity and earth will perish. Except that right now he doesn't know that. He can't even remember his own name, let alone the nature of his assignment or how to complete it. That just makes me think of of every dream I've ever had where I wake up in the middle of the night and it's like, I forgot to do my homework, except I'm not in school anymore. Except this is way worse. (laughs) (laughs) Way worse. Way worse. All he knows is that he's been asleep for a very long time, and he's just been awakened to find himself millions of miles from home with nothing but two corpses for company. What a really terrible way to wake up. His crewmate's dead, his memories fuzzily returning, Ryland realizes that an impossible task now confronts him. Hurtling through space on his tiny ship, he must puzzle out an impossible scientific mystery and conquer an extinction-level event that threats our species. And with the clock ticking down and the nearest human being light years away, he's got to do it all alone. Or does he? I love that. That that summary just really grabbed me. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I went in completely blind, so I didn't even read that much. Okay. Um, but yeah, no one wants to wake up, uh, as PJ said, pantsless next to corpses. That's just, that's rough. Right. Yeah. Pantsless next to corpses that, yeah, that would be a terrible dream (laughs) or waking up with water dripping on your head. As John says, (laughs) that would be terrible. Hopefully you're not in a Chinese torture chamber or something like that. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty terrible way to wake up. Although... Um, Although he hmm. he also woke up and wondered why he was so buff. Right. That might be okay. I would love <laughs> if I suddenly woke up and I was like, you know, trim, you know, a little muscly. I'd be okay with that. 
I don't know about being millions of light years away with tubes all over me, though. That's another part that's not mentioned. <laughs> right. So just some spoiler-free thoughts for the audience, because, I mean, folks, we're going to get right into the spoilers. It, the way they set up uh, the summary on the back of the book, it's like chapter one, we're already in spoilers. So our spoiler warning is going to come really early on. Uh, if you haven't read the book or listened to the audiobook, like Trevor said, I listened to the audiobook. I mean, Ray Porter does such a phenomenal job of conveying yeah. real emotion and anxiety and fear through his narration. And the way he narrates Rocky is just, oh my gosh, so good. Um, but, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. What were your thoughts kind of like spoiler free? Oh, wow. It's it's hard not to give spoilers. It's so hard, um, right? <laughs> um, it's hard sci-fi. Hard sci-fi. Um, so everything has, you know, is pretty grounded. But I appreciate how Andy Weir, you know, manages to tap into human emotions and structure the story in such a way that we're always a little off balance and we're able to empathize with the character. And so, you know, it's really gripping. Uh, yeah, I definitely felt that. I think this book is very much about both the durability and fragility of the human spirit. I know that seems like a contradiction in terms, but I feel like he does a really great job of showing how complex people are. Because uh, on the one hand, people were working really hard behind the scenes to demonstrate a really phenomenal amount of courage to accomplish something incredibly important. While at the same time, other people showed great cowardice. Uh, and it was only by essentially being forced into hard situations uh, that that cowardice could be overcome. But you're right. It's hard science. I love the hard science in here. I absolutely nerded out every single time he did a science experiment, which was like every five seconds. Um, so if anyone has read The Martian, uh, it's very similar to that where he's doing science all the time. Uh, like the first thing he does when he wakes up is he starts climbing around and a uh, test tube falls off a table and it falls a little too fast and he's like wait a minute something's not right here so he gets out a timer and starts trying to figure out uh acceleration he still doesn't know his name but he remembers that acceleration is change in velocity divided by change in time which i mean you know that's a science person right there yeah he's he's science scientist james Bo uh wow jason bourne I like that science Jason Bourne <laughs> doesn't know who he is, but has all of these great skills. Um, but you're right. The tale is absolutely gripping. So many times I was just like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen now? Why is this happening? Um, but the mystery, the, the discovery and the narration style, I like a lot. Uh, the jumping back and forth between the present and the past. Uh, I really like that. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, um, telling the, the story is told out of order, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, all of the traditional elements of the hero's journey are still there, um, but we have to kind of piece it together. And so even if it was told um, in a traditional structure, it would still be good, but by doing it this way, um, we're just as off balance as he is. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I, I, I like that point. I, because 
I think part of the charm is that you're discovering at the same time he is. I mean, so often I feel like writers struggle with that. They often say show, don't tell. Uh, and Weird does a good job of that. He genuinely shows. He very little tells. And you would think it's easy to fall into an expositional trap when you just have one person and then eventually another uh, sort of being comes into the mix. But uh, I like what uh, Rob says here, a reluctant hero. I, I like that very much. Extreme. A reluctant hero. <laughs> Extremely, Extremely reluctant like. hero. <laughs> and uh, going, going back to, to the science, I mean, I struggled with college biology. I probably got like an elementary school level knowledge of physics, mm -hmm. but I could sense that it was all grounded. I mean, it was kind of Hemingway's iceberg. Like I didn't need to understand it. I understood the authority. Oh, I like that. You understand the authority. And I mean, not to say there's no fake science in there, and we will get to some of the fake science that's in there, but the fake science was grounded in so much real science that you could almost believe it. And I think that's a really well-told sci-fi where you could almost believe the fake science because it's so well-told. Yes. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Fair enough. PJ says, I'm not the biggest fan of this genre, but this book was very good. I think about it more than I thought I would. It, it really sticks with you. I think the big moral questions it asks and presents really stick with you, even if you're not like me, really hung up on the sciencey aspect. Um, the book has something for everybody, so I really hope everybody goes checks it out. Uh, if you haven't read it already, because now we're about to get into the spoilers. Got our little spoiler warning tag. So if you haven't read the book, what are you still doing here? Actually, you could still stay here because we're going to talk about basically everything. Um, so we meet Ryland. He wakes up alone on the spaceship. He's suffering from amnesia. He does the test tube trick to figure out that he's in space because gravity is way too high. Uh, and not only is gravity way too high, he figures out that he's in like a centrifuge sort of spaceship. Which is crazy that they would build a spaceship like a centrifuge. So many things about that are crazy. Um, but I can't, I'm still stuck on like just waking up and being stuck in a place like that. Um, just trying to overcome that enormous obstacle. I don't know about you. I would find it very hard to like try and get my bearings and not just immediately enter panic mode. Oh, for sure. But the first thing that we see him do are, you know, experiments that he did in his classroom. And so it was almost like, you know, second nature to him. So it gave him the opportunity to ground himself. Mm. I like that. Um, and one of the things, his first memory that he starts to get back is of a scientific anomaly. Again, he still doesn't know his name at this point, uh, but he is remembering an email he read about um, the Petrova line. So the Petrova line is a line of IR or infrared light um, that was reported moving from the sun to Venus. Remember, IR light is not something we can see. Uh, there are lots of wavelengths of light outside the visible spectrum. IR is one of them. 
Uh, and she found using a special telescope, uh, this band of light. And so uh, you could think of a couple of things. Oh, maybe this light is caused by particle dust. It could be caused by different molecules out in space, but it has this weird arc. And the arc is what causes everybody to have a lot of questions. So it eventually is called the Petrova line. And that's, again, so funny that he immediately has this memory of this line. Um, nothing related to his life, but only slowly introducing the nature of the problem to us. I really love that narrative structure. Yeah, and by starting with him on the ship, I mean, that's a clue to to us who have heard so many stories that this is where the central story is going to take place. Yeah. This is where all of the important things are going to happen. I like that. Rob says the robot arms prevented him from hurting himself. So if he had panicked, he would have been sedated. That's a good point. The robot arms really came in clutch. They fed him when he didn't realize he needed food. Uh, some weird space slurp. I don't know about, know about you. I would not like space slurp. No, as someone who takes his food very seriously, I, I found that um, quite distressing. Right. You know what tastes better than Space Slurp is North Arrow Coffee. I had to get a plug in there somewhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> North Arrow Coffee is so good, guys. Please go check them out. Um, they're, I would say, locally sourced. They they get all of their coffee um I can't remember where they get it from. I'm doing a very bad job of this ad read right now, but they're pro-life. That's the thing that we need to focus on. They donate uh, 15% of their proceeds to pro-life charities. Their coffee's delicious. It's very microwavable, uh, which is what both me and Abby do. I'm sorry. I know I'm a heathen. I have my coffee around all day. I don't know. <laughs> it's delicious, guys. Go use code Hawkhound to get 10% off your order. Go check them out, northarrowcoffee.co. I know I started strong, PJ, and then I just like loved it up. <laughs> so uh, I, I just I, I just want to jump in and say that I used to be a barista. I used to be a master roaster myself. I have had hundreds of coffees from dozens of roasters, and North Arrow is top tier. I'm so glad to hear you say that. North Arrow really is top tier. It's basically the only coffee I drink at this point. It is that good. Everything else just doesn't taste right in comparison. All right. So kind of moving back to the story. Uh, th throughout time, we learn a little bit more of the past. We learn that uh, Ryland was invited on to kind of investigate what this Petrova line was. They learned that there were these dots on the surface of the sun that were decreasing the sun's output by 10 to 15%. Um, that's a big deal to have the sunlight start to go away. People are all, all worried about climate change around us, worried about too much heat. The sun going out is just as bad, right? Yeah, unless <laughs> you're Bill Gates. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. Then it serves your political agenda, right? Right. Uh, Discussion for <laughs> another podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was a big deal. So they had to investigate what these dots were. Uh, and so these researchers invited Grace on because he had previously done uh, 
extraterrestrial uh, biology research. He was really interested in um, the possibility that other life forms might not require water, which is an interesting prospect. Uh, But he ends up, after all that big research, he ends up as a science teacher. What do you think of that decision to make him a science teacher? I like it in that it um, makes him something of an underdog, but mm-hmm. also gives him a reason to be there. Um, it's also a nice little bit of character development because it tells us something about who he is. I mean, he got out of the uh, the research field because he couldn't take the criticism that he got. Yeah. So he just kind of retreated back to you know teaching high school students where he could be you know, the expert the, in the room. Yeah. The expert in the room. There's a certain appeal to that. I say as a science teacher myself, <laughs> thanks PJ science teachers do rule. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think that's a good point. It shows a lot of interesting character development that comes back a lot throughout the story. I think it's interesting that they specifically asked this science teacher who had some research that was highly discredited. I mean, part of the reason he left scientific research is that people basically laughed him out of the room. Oh, every organism has water in it. Are you crazy? Yeah, right. And in that world, you know, he had very thin skin. I mean, yeah, he was a very insecure man. That's a good point. Yeah. He provides a very, it's it's hard not to compare it to The Martian because he does provide an interesting contrast to Mark Watney, who was the main character of The Martian, because um, they're similar and different at the same time. I think um, Rylan Grace being a little bit more thin-skinned and uh, easily manipulated by people around him. Did you ever read The Martian or watch the movie? No, I and it's... It's funny because I got free digital copies of both and just oh, wow. never, yeah, never got around to it. Are you going to have to add that to your next to-do list? I think I'm going to need a little breathing room after this That's one. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> this book is heavy. That's totally fair. Especially if it's not like your natural interest. Um, so they eventually discovered that the dots are eating all of the energy from the sun, essentially. So they name it astrophage, right? Think of astro like star and phage uh, like a virus. It's basically sun mold, which is crazy creative, in my opinion. You could think of an alien species like little green men um, coming to dominate the universe. No, Andy Weir's like, sun mold! <laughs> Yeah, right. I I think uh, I heard him say that it actually translates to like sun eater, oh, sun, sun eater. Cons- you know, star consumer, or something like that. I mean, you know, maybe a little over dramatic, but effective. I like that. Very effective. Yeah, and I mean they were doing their job. So basically, that line that they saw was the migration path of the astrophage from the sun to Venus um, because they were basically traveling along this carbon dioxide path to get to a place where they could breed. Um, and so there's huge panic on the earth, right? It's like, okay, our star's going out. What can we do? How can we stop it? These are organisms that literally live on the surface of the sun. So you can't kill them with heat. Uh, I mean, what do you even do at that point? <laughs> 
Well, if you're me, you panic. Yeah. I, I'm sure there was a lot of panicking. I would have panicked. <laughs> um, but they bring in this science teacher and he starts playing around with them. And he decides to poke them with a, a needle, a very scientific stick poke. And that ends up breaking their cellular membrane and does show that they contain water, but it allows them to really get to learn more about it. So they're basically like this crazy heat sink. They can absorb a lot of energy, but they can put out a lot of energy, which allows them to propel from the sun to Venus. So they become also an amazing energy source. I I just love that humans are like, here's the thing that's going to destroy our planet. Let's power a rocket with it. Yeah, and um, we'll probably get back to it later, but the uh, Canadian researcher was one of my favorite characters even though he was only there for like two pages oh you'll have to remind me about him because like i'm again it's been a minute since i've read it yeah he he was the the christian character who asks ryland if he believes in god but he's also the he, he was also the one who was completely geeking out over the idea of you know limitless power and so his whole attitude was well yeah you're gonna save the planet and then we're gonna have uh, free energy for everyone it's gonna be awesome awesome <laughs> making the best out of a bad situation yes. i love that i forgot who had said that quote i'm so glad you reminded me about that because we will talk about that quote again later um so they eventually find that there's another star in the solar system called tau ceti that is also infected with astrophage but isn't dimming so they're like, okay, we need to send somebody out there. And so a big research project begins. And then we're sent back to present day and dealing with Ryland, trying to figure out, okay, I'm on this spaceship. I'm supposed to figure out how to get to Tau Ceti. Now what? Everyone's dead. <laughs> Everyone's dead. I'm the only one alive. He's really going through it. Yeah. Many bad days many bad days yeah there are many bad days but the bad days start to come to an end when he notices blip a on his map i love blip a blip a guys this is what makes the book so good is when he starts to get to figure out what blip a is yeah i don't remember why he um it connects with this other ship, but he figures out very quickly that uh, he's not the only researcher in the galaxy trying to solve this problem. Yeah, it is so cool. So uh, he basically makes contact with it, this other ship, the Blip A, that is out in space. Go first ahead. contact. First contact. I love that he is both involved in first contact with Space Mold. And first contact with giant alien spider dog. Yes. And uh, I also love that he uh, names alien spider dog Rocky. <laughs> Me too. Uh, I love Rocky. He's the best. I tried to find um, some fan art of Rocky because I love to see if I can find things. People come up with so many creative things. It's like... <laughs> 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 the artwork for Rocky is so cute. Uh, people are so creative. Uh, but yeah, I, he is uh, this 
being that communicates with musical notes. Yeah. And so the reason I got the audiobook was because another podcast I listened to was saying, we're going to talk about this book. It's awesome. You don't want any spoilers. And there's a character and they do something really interesting with his voice. And we don't want to spoil it for you. So listen to the book before you listen to our episode. And I am so glad I did. I was not disappointed. I 100% agree with that sentiment. I think this is where the audiobook truly surpasses the written book. Because in the written book, they just have mu- literal musical notes for Rocky speaking. Really? Um, and Yeah. Which is cool. But you don't get that appreciation if you're not musically literate like me. I'm really stupid when it comes to music. It's like, I don't know what that means. Um, but hearing Rocky was so cool. Yeah. When he first meets Rocky and he can't understand him, for the audiobook, it's just the, the musical tones. Mm-hmm. And then you know, as he begins to... Um, build a translator they uh, add some harmonics to the voice which is really cool yeah to the narrator's voice which is really good they do so many creative things in the audiobook guys I like what Rob says here math and music universal forms of communication that's absolutely true that's how they really form their bond is by sharing math sharing science uh, and trying to build language together and overcome that language barrier. It's a really cool and really interesting process. Yeah. And props to Weir for doing something so different. Right. It's like so often in in like fantasy books, people often create new languages, which I'm sure is a very difficult task. But here you're having your character try to understand a totally different language. And that, that is just so different. Go ahead. That, that doesn't even seem like a language. Right. Yeah, it really doesn't seem like a language. One of these quotes I find uh, pretty interesting when he first starts trying to communicate with Rocky. I don't know if there's something to talk about here, but no one ever talks about the really hard part of first contact with intelligent alien life pronouns. I'm going to stick with he for now because it just seems rude to call a thinking being it. I mean, (laughs) I, I can see at least in this context how that would be hard. Oh, for sure. And I think it keeps things grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ryland doesn't have time to be politically correct. He doesn't have time for ideologies. Right. He has to make a decision. So he does. And uh, he just goes with it. So true. Yeah. PJ shots fired. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, in this book, there were plenty of opportunities for him to be politically incorrect. And my, my cat's making an appearance. Oh, hello, cat. <laughs> What's your cat's name? That is Trudy. Trudy, aw. She, she, she might have some things to say later. I don't know. She can be vocal. <laughs> Maybe she'll sing to us like Rocky. Yes. I love it. Um, 
But yeah, he doesn't take the time to really focus on the politics of anything. They're trying to save the planet. They don't have time for your nonsense, which I really appreciated. <laughs> um, and I love that for once, this alien life wasn't necessarily superior than human life. And it wasn't necessarily inferior. In fact, they seem to be kind of on similar playing fields. Uh, they had different things that they could share. Like... Um, Grace shared ideas about relativity and space radiation, and Rocky shared Xenonite. What did you think about Xenonite? It was a little hard for me to wrap my head around, mm -hmm. but um, again, it it made a lot of sense, at least you know as far as I understood it and was able to accept it. That's fair. Um. I thought Xenonite was very interesting uh, because this is one of the first times he gets really fictiony in the science fiction uh, because Xenonite doesn't exist. Um, for those of you who don't know, Xenon is a real element. It's a noble gas. Noble gases have a full octet of valence electrons, which means they don't like to bond with anything. Um, there are a few exceptions like Xenon fluoride compounds are a thing, but they're all mostly gases. We don't use them to make solid structures. And Rocky was using Xenonite to make everything. I mean, his ship was made of Xenonite, which is like so crazy. Uh, it was very sci-fi. I loved it. Yeah, and, and uh, going back a little bit to to Rocky himself, um, mm -hmm. something that always bothered me about Star Trek was how. Um, the aliens on that show always have superpowers compared to humans. Oh, yeah. You know, they're, they're telepathic. They've got super strength or they're small G gods. And I, I always thought, even as a kid, you know, we, we humans should have something that the aliens would perceive as supernatural. And, right. uh, you, know, you know, where does that, you know, Rocky's people are advanced in, metallurgy mm -hmm. um but they can't see right and um that just blows rocky's mind that ryland can see light right i love that moment and that that also means that they don't understand the theory of relativity mm -hmm. and ryland's mind is blown by the things that uh, they're doing with things like xenonite or Iridian Steel. Right. It, it's really cool. I, I like what PJ says here. It's That's one of my favorite parts. Rocky's not vastly superior. They're equals coming from different walks of life. It's buddy cop movie in space. It kind of is. It, it totally is. Um, you know, it, it's a human alien bromance. It is a human alien bromance. I just love the friendship that starts to form between them. As they're going through their journey together, um, it's kind of, it's also hard too about the things that Grace has to share with Rocky because, like you said, he tells him about relativity. And just like Rylan, all of Rocky's crewmates are dead too, but not for the same reason. Right. And, uh, you know, Part of that is the time dilation, and part of that is radiation. Yeah. That was really sad. I'm not going to lie. 
Um, I, I got to be honest, though, the, the whole book, I was waiting for Rocky to turn evil. Really? I, uh, yeah. I, 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 you know, maybe I'm an extraterrestrial bigot. I don't know. <laughs> that would so have been think, a really interesting twist. It'll be nice, though, because if I go back and listen to it again or read the book, you know, I, I won't have that concern. I can kind of relax a little bit. And just kind of, like, enjoy the journey. The, yeah, enjoy the friendship. Yeah. That would have really changed the dynamic of everything <laughs> if he turned out to be a bad guy. Oh, my gosh. But there are other characters that turn out to be kind of crazy. So while he's getting to know Rocky, while they're sharing languages, we get more flashbacks um, of Ryland's past. Um, I'm trying to remember some things that happened uh, during that time. So there's this... What is the name of the lady who's over everything? I forget her name. Strat. Strat. She's crazy. Um, <laughs> PJ's cracking me up. I was waiting for Rocky to fight Apollo. Wrong story, bro. Wrong story. Um, but yeah, she's basically big boss in charge over everything um, and trying to get things in order so this trip can happen, so they can go to Tau Seti. Uh, and she des- decides it's necessary to put the crew in extended medical coma, uh, which kind of explains why Rylan woke up with tubes all over him, right? That they had to be in for that. Yeah, and I mean, Strat has been given more authority than anyone in the history of the planet has been given, and she's probably committing, you know, war crimes. Oh, yeah. Um, But she's so coldly methodical about it that she's able to justify everything. I listened to an interview with Andy Weir today, and he he said that uh, if Strat thought that throwing a bunch of kittens into an incinerator would save the planet, she would do it without hesitation and sleep just fine that night. Oof. Yeah, she's crazy. Um. Do you think maybe that power went to her head a little bit? I don't think so. Yeah? Not really. No, I I think she was just too cold and logical to to have an ego. She was just more worried about saving the planet, essentially. Right. Okay, that's fair. Um. So some other things that they figured out uh, was because it's not so easy to go into a medical coma. I mean, there's a reason why there's a lot of anxiety when you get put under any sort of anesthetic, right? You're not guaranteed to survive it. So a prolonged medical coma, I mean, I can't remember how long it was like a four year journey and they were in the coma for most of that time, uh, basically to prevent them, the crew from going insane and killing everybody. Because I suppose there's some medical research to show that that would drive a person crazy. I would be driven crazy. I hate staying at home. I can't imagine <laughs> being trapped in a tiny spaceship for years. Yeah, they talked about that, about um, you know, uh, research being done about people in confined spaces for that amount of time. So. Uh, We were definitely covered that base. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, basically he figures out, okay, my crew didn't survive the medical coma. He gives them a nice little spaceman's funeral, uh, which is a nice moment. Um, and of course he tells Rocky about basically what happened to his whole crew. Again, very, very, very sad moment. Um, we talked a little bit about the friendship that they built up together. What do you think happened in uh, Iridian evolutionary line or whatever you want to call it that required them to be watched while they slept? Because one of the big things Rocky always asks is that uh, Ryland watches him while he sleeps. And he demands to watch Ryland while he sleeps. Um, Well, Rocky explains that when he goes to sleep, his people are just out, out, out. And so if there was an emergency or a predator of some sort, um, they wouldn't wake up. Mm. And I just wondered if... um, even as civilization developed on his planet, if they maintained that out of, you know, a sort of cultural tradition, because it doesn't Mm. seem like in his present day, you know, there are a lot of predators and, or there would be a house fire. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, As we get to the end, we'll kind of talk more about Iridian culture uh, because it becomes more important towards the end. Um, but that is an interesting thing. Another interesting thing. Oh yeah. The sleep thing is culture for sure. Rob says, I think that's probably true. Uh, the eating thing I think is also both a cultural thing and like a comfort level thing. Like Ryland doesn't care, but we all don't care. We all eat together, but Rocky's like, no, it's embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're equally uh, grossed out. <laughs> yeah, by different parts of what the other does. Rocky's like, you put that in your face? And, and human, humans always leaking. Humans gross. Right. Humans <laughs> gross. Oh, I have a good Rocky quote right here. I am scary space monster. You are leaky space blob. <laughs> Rocky is such a character. He's my favorite part of this whole book. Yeah, he's fantastic. And I appreciate how there's there's heavy science on every page, but there's also humor on yeah. almost every page. I, I well, oh, yeah. every couple of the minutes. science jokes abound, and I am here for it. <laughs> um, so just more of things that end up going on. Uh, they get to a nearby planet, which they yes, they do name Adrian after Rocky's mate. I love that little nod there. Yeah, PJ's like, Rocky was the best character. Definitely. Um, So yeah, they get near it. A bunch of things happen. The Hail Mary ends up getting a little damaged in this risky mission to collect a sample of astrophage from Adrian's atmosphere. Uh, And Grace is nearly killed before Rocky uh, risks exposure to Earth's atmosphere and saves him. So like, shit hits the fan really fast. Yeah, something that uh, we didn't talk about that you're probably more qualified to uh, discuss is the difference in Iridian atmosphere versus Earth's. That I found so interesting. So 
Earth's atmosphere is composed of primarily nitrogen and oxygen, whereas Iridian atmosphere is like superheated ammonia. That would straight up kill you if you breathed it in. Um, but it doesn't kill the Iridians. I want to know what was going through his brain that was like, ah, yes, superheated stinky gas. <laughs> atmosphere, breathe it in. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a good way on Weir's part to uh, add an extra level of difficulty that, you know, Star Trek would gloss over. Yeah. Yeah, I guess in Star Trek, everybody breathes the same atmosphere. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, but not so for Weir. I, I appreciate that because Rocky ends up having to build Xenonite tunnels all over the Hail Mary so they can interact together. Because they don't have the same atmosphere. They can't exist in the same room uh, without having some sort of atmospheric barrier, which was super cool. But also provides, like you see, a moment of tension when uh, Rocky has to burst out of his, essentially a cage, to end up helping Grace and save him from dying. Yeah, and at that moment, um, it looks like Rocky's dead. Yeah, because now he's just been exposed to oxygen, which basically causes him to undergo some weird internal combustion or something, um, which was crazy. And then Grace tries to save him by like trying to blow the dust off him, but that was a bad idea because that was supposed to be healing dust or something like that. It, yeah, R- Ryland says, I ripped off his scabs. Yeah, it's like, ow. Why would you do that, man? Fortunately, Rocky is very durable, just like Sylvester yeah. Stallone. Just like Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Rob says he took everything that would kill a human and made it a livable environment for Rocky. I think that's a good point. Um, because, yep. yeah, <laughs> we would not live that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, right down to, to Rocky's food sources being toxic to a human. Yes. Oh, yeah, that is such a good point. Because one of the big concerns um, for Ryland is that uh, the limited food supply. Uh, Because it's not like you can grow food. The nice benefit that uh, Mark Watney had in The Martian was that he basically planted his poop potato farm. Uh, We didn't have that on the Hail Mary. (laughs) You don't have any sunlight, you can't be growing food. Uh, so he was running against the clock and it's not like he could share food with Rocky because that had like mercury and toxic metals. And it's like, well, that'll kill me. Yeah. So much nerdy science. Um, but they do manage to get a sample from Adrian's atmosphere that contains a very interesting, different type of space mold. Yeah, I can't remember what it what it was I called. I think it's now. called um, Taumiba. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes the uh, the natural predator. I loved that. That idea is so cool. There's basically this ecosystem living on the surface of different suns, uh, and so yeah, this Taumiba was the natural predator of the astrophage. And it's essentially the key to the whole mission. The reason Tau Ceti isn't dimming is because the Tau Miba are keeping the astrophage population under control. That's what the 
each of them have to get back to their world so that their individual stars don't die. Right. And then, then it becomes an issue of, you know, how to transport it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, all during this time, we're getting more and more flashbacks uh, back to the past. So, Ryland uh, remembers teaching the original astronauts who were supposed to go on this mission uh, more about astrophage, helping them test equipment. And this terrible accident happens. Uh, and remember, they were originally chosen because they had this DNA marker that predicted for coma resistance. So they would be able to survive the long trip, theoretically. And now they're dead. And they have to somehow find uh, new people who have this marker and can be trained very quickly to go on this very dangerous uh, and basically suicidal mission because they only have enough astrophage to get to Tau Ceti and enough astrophage for the beetles or the tiny little rockets to go back to Earth uh, to return basically the cure. That is a huge burden to send someone on a mission like that, a huge burden for someone to choose to take on that burden. Right. And then the, the, the pool is even smaller. Yeah. Because it's not just who's willing, but you know, literally who is able. That kind of brings up an interesting draft question Uh, because you're right. It's not just about who is willing. It's about who is able. I also wanted to to mention that uh, the Beatles are named after the Beatles. The Beatles. The the pop culture references in this book are really good um, because they're timeless. For sure. Uh, There are so many little things like that, like Rocky and Adrian, like the Beatles. I love it. Um, But there there is such a big concerted effort uh, to stave off basically the end of the world. Uh, you have lots of people volunteering to go, but many of them can't. And so when the two original astronauts are killed in this big explosion, Be- because they, they were yeah, killed because they, they were too flippant with the, uh, the massive amounts of power stored in astrophage. Yep. Yes. And that kind of brings up the question about people, I don't know, taking things seriously, making sure they're doing a good job because they weren't taking it seriously. Uh, They seem to feel a little bit invincible and then were kind of proven not to be. Yeah. um, yeah, I think a, a big theme of the book is, you know, just how quickly humans accept and you know, get over things. Mm. Um, H.P. Lovecraft, one of my favorite quotes from him is, never take a wonder for granted. I like and that. And here you've got a situation where, you know, just a few micrograms of astrophage contain enough energy to, you know, well, blow up a building. Right. And, but they very quickly just took it for granted mm-hmm. and it you know caused this catastrophic explosion 
but, but we see that that same idea over and over again you know that you know these incredible things are happening like meeting alien life and yet the next thing you know you know they, they're bickering right yeah it's not like everything is perfect between uh rocky and <laughs> ryland uh they have arguments they have fights they get moody with each other which i really appreciated yeah, and then the, there's also just the fact that in a very short amount of time, humanity has faster than light space travel. Yeah. And you know, how quickly, you know, that's just normal. Yeah, that's like this quote uh, from the book. Human beings have a remarkable ability to accept the abnormal and make it normal. I mean, I think that's one of the big themes of the whole book. It's oh, just, for sure. Yeah learning to adapt to really difficult situations. Yeah. There's pros and cons to that human ability. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and that definitely fires back on uh, Ryland because turns out he has that genetic marker to become a resistant. Yeah. Strat tricked him into getting tested. Yep. And lucky him, he had it. <laughs> lucky him. And this, so throughout this whole book, we are under the impression that Ryland chose to go. I mean, why else would he be there? Right. So, you know, somewhere in the back of his mind, he's got to be thinking, I'm a hero. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm pretty cool. I'm sacrificing myself to save the whole world. And so... When he has that memory come back to him that, no, he was literally dragged kicking and screaming into space. You know, yeah, that's literally a, kicking and screaming. That, that's, you know, a very humbling moment. It is really humbling. Yeah, Rob says that they drug him and stuck him on the ship. Uh, that's exactly what they did. Uh, and so that memory must have been hard for him yeah pj says it was so hard to find out what a coward he was even though i suspected it for a while yeah i think we we all kind of sensed that but then to have it confirmed and to see how devastating it was for him yeah like we as outside observers go yeah he's kind of a coward but then to find out, you know, the uh, the degree of his cowardice. The degree of his cowardice was hard. And the degree of power that Strat had to exert at this point. I mean, she says, we all have to make sacrifices. If I have to be the world's whipping boy to secure our salvation, then that's my sacrifice to make. Like you said before, she was willing to do literally anything to save the planet. But Grace wasn't. And the juxtaposition of those two perspectives was hard because the whole time we're thinking Strat's just being a, a witch this whole time, but actually <laughs> she was doing what needed to be done. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's cold and calculating, but mm -hmm. you know, toward a good end. Yeah. PJ says, I was hoping he went along reluctantly, not kicking and screaming. That was hard. It was really hard. It, it's like 
that saying, never meet your heroes. We finally got to meet our hero and boy, he did not live up to it. Yeah. I mean, always in the hero's journey, you know, there's the refusal of the call Mm -hmm. and most of the time the hero comes to accept it, you know, either because, you know, he's out of options or because he digs deep down and, and finds it. This goes beyond running out of options. He's literally forced into it. Yeah. What do you think of his change? Basically from the time he's forced on the Hail Mary to when he figures out that, oh, I'm actually a coward. Do you think he would have naturally had that change if she hadn't knocked him out? You know, that's a really interesting question. Um, Maybe, but I think it would have come too late. Mm. Yeah, the fact that he basically had to rediscover who he used to be along the way gave him an opportunity to create for himself a new person. Yeah, he starts out, you know, as a completely blank slate. And really has a good arc. He just doesn't even realize that it's happening. Yeah. Got some blasphemy going on here in the chat (laughs) (laughs) about the Harry Potter episode. Reminds me of a certain Dark Lord. No, the Weasleys are not evil. Get out. Y'all are banned from the show. (laughs) (laughs) But do you think what Strat did was ultimately right? Like, just morally speaking, forcing him to go against his will? I think it's it's justified because if she didn't think that he would rise to the occasion, she wouldn't have sent him. Yeah. I think she knew things about him that he couldn't see in himself. That's a good point. Sorry, my basil, my basil, my cat named Basil uh, is attacking my legs right now. I'm going to have my husband come get him. Uh, (laughs) I think that's a good point. (laughs) I love all of these questions that are posed basically towards the lead up towards the end of the book. Um, There, like we said earlier, there's so much nerdy science, so much buddy cop adventure, but there are big, heavy moral questions about what it means to sacrifice and the value in that. Yeah. And, you know, I I have some more thoughts on that that we'll probably get to later. Okay. Um, So just to kind of wrap up the whole summary of the story, they figure out that the Taumiba are, uh, can't survive in a nitrogen atmosphere, which does not work obviously for our atmosphere. So they basically have to breed nitrogen resistant Taumiba that can survive in both Venus and three world, which is the infected planet in Rocky's uh, solar system. So they end up doing that uh, very interesting breeding process, but some of it gets loose and remember it's the natural predator of astrophage. And what are they using as rocket fuel? Astrophage. Astrophage. Uh oh. And, and and Rocky had even figured out that uh, they could make the astrophage so that Ryland could get home. 
Yeah, that part was really cool. Like the blip had so much astrophage. Um, so he was able to give uh, Ryland enough after massively cleaning out the basically rocket parts. Uh, so they could basically part ways. I love their final celebration night together. It was really precious. Um, it really shows uh, Iridian culture. I think the fact that Rocky got in this cute little outfit uh, with like gloves and stuff. That was really, really sweet. Yeah, again, my paranoia kicked in and I just kept waiting for something terrible to happen while Ryland was drunk. <laughs> Rocky suddenly turns into like Predator and like slices through the atmosphere and gobbles them up. Yeah, Rocky gets a taste of vodka and just goes insane. I, you know. <laughs> goes berserk. That would be crazy. Yeah, I just love throughout the whole story how they're so intellectually well matched. Um, but even though they're physically different, um, what do you think of the choices we were made creating Rocky, like deciding him to make a spider rock dog sort of alien species and all of the differences between them? I think it was a great way to create not necessarily conflict, but, you know, set up some barriers to make things more difficult because you can't have a story without drama. Right. And yet it was done in such a way that they weren't fighting. Um, it, it was never, you know, an, an argument. It was a different sort of conflict that they had to mm -hmm. work through. Yeah, very much a personal differences that's like working with people except the other person is the alien <laughs> right and we we've all been in groups where everyone's got different opinions and they're constantly screaming at each other but in a life or death situation you know it's people are going to be more willing to work together and so having a, a different set of complications, I think was, you know, a really brilliant way to, to keep the tension um, mm -hmm. without having things deteriorate into interpersonal conflict. Yeah. That's a good point. Rob brings up a really good comment, but before I get to it, I, I'll go ahead and finish our summary because they do eventually part ways. And about one month into uh, the journey back home, Grace realizes that the nitrogen resistant Taumiba have evolved the ability to pass through Xenonite um, because they figured out to hide in the little atomic crevices that separate one Xenonite molecule from another <clears throat> because they made the breeding chambers out of Xenonite. And so while Ryland is able to clean up the mess that is made uh, and move on, Rocky's ship is entirely made of Xenonite where Ryland's is not. It's made of like steel and other things we find here on Earth. So now Rocky's kind of doomed. Yeah, Rocky's dead in the water. Literally dead in the water. And so now Grace has a choice to make. He can either leave Rocky to his fate and go back to Earth or and go be a back hero. and be a hero. Or go back and save an entire alien species. Yeah, Rocky became his friend, but what does that compare to his own life? He was willing to sacrifice the whole human race for his own life. 
Right. And Ryland has the option of sending the Beatles on ahead to Earth. So, you know, it, he's really faced with an impossible choice. He can save both and sacrifice himself. Right. Or he can just save Earth. And so... And so then the question becomes... When the alternative is death to your entire species, things are very easy. Nor No moral dilemmas. No weighing what's best for whom. I think, like Rob says here, Ryland finally learned what sacrifice meant when he finally embraced it and went back to save Rocky. Yeah, going back to, you know, my joke about it being a bromance, um, In, in story, you know, Joseph Campbell talks about how the, the love interest, you know, reveals the, the true essence of the hero. And so it's that you know, genuine care that he has for Rocky yeah. that makes Ryland become his full self. I like that. It's, it's a really amazing change of heart to see him go from a truly despicable coward who's willing to let the whole human race die because he doesn't want to give his life for it to someone who is willing to die for someone he, relatively speaking, just met. Mm-hmm. And it really ties everything together really nicely, I think. It gave him a very redemptive arc. Yes, and I mean, the best stories are always about redemption. Yeah, I like that. So he does send the Beatles back to Earth with Taumiba. He goes back, rescues Rocky, and Rocky's like, wait, you're going to die? I can't let you die, bro. You're my bro. Yeah, it was an amazing redemption arc. I really hated him for a minute. I kind of did, too. I was like, you what, sir? Um, it, It was good redemption. Um, I I hope you can't hear the cat coughing. She's got a tickle in her throat. Poor kitty. Uh, But then they have a discussion and Rocky's like, well, I know you can't eat my food and you're about to have no food. Have you thought about eating Taumiba? Have you thought about eating space mold? Ew. Uh, Yeah. And Ryland's like, no, wait. (laughs) (laughs) wait a minute i guess if it's a life or death situation it has the necessary nitrogen but ew yeah (laughs) do you feel like it diminishes his sacrifice in any way that he was able to kind of skate by on eating taumiba no i mean he'd already had his his moment yeah um he was willing to pay the price we know that he was willing to make that sacrifice and it would only make sense that rocky would find the obvious solution that's true rocky's always like (laughs) scientifically correcting rylan throughout this whole journey he's like humans are too stupid right (laughs) 
I love that. They have such a wonderful back and forth. Uh, so he does end up going back to Arid, the planet that Rocky is from. Uh, the scientists are like so glad to have him there. He's basically the Iridian's hero. Uh, so they set him up with a Earth atmosphere sort of bubble. They start creating proteins from his DNA. So he's basically engaging in low-key cannibalism or like scientifically made human. I don't know. The me burgers got really weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're cloning his tissue for him to eat. Yeah. Yeah, PJ says, I like how uh, Rocky returns the favor. They save each other. Really bromantic. It is really bromantic. <laughs> and I kind of like how it comes full circle because then Grace ends up teaching young Iridians about science. So he didn't give up his love of teaching and uh, impacting the next generation. Uh, he still ends up doing what he loves. <laughs> Me burgers are still better quality meat than Taco Bell. I mean, probably true. How do we know Taco Bell isn't me burgers, though? It's Soylent Green is people. Soylent Green is people! So, last question before we go to the Rumble-only segment. Do you think Rock, er, Rocky... Do you think Ryland will ever go back to Earth? I doubt it. Yeah? Um, I, Ryland has, has grown and changed, but he's still the sort of guy who goes back to his old rut and he's got a comfortable life on Iridian uh, a meaningful life teaching the next generation of little Rockies the little Rockies um, and he's getting old yeah yeah because by the time he gets there he he is old because of all of the time dilation and things like that the gravity is much heavier on arid so it's basically crushing his bones oh rob says he thinks there will be a hail mary too i hope not <laughs> you hope not <laughs> you think it wrapped up nicely i think it did um yeah i think it it was a s satisfying ending i think so too what do you guys think? I hope everybody will head on over to Rumble. Uh, I'm going to drop the link in the chat because we are going to start our Rumble only and Odyssey only section. Um, YouTube doesn't support our beliefs, doesn't support our thoughts. So why give our money to those corporations uh, who would like to censor us? So head on over to Rumble for our Rumble only segment. I hope everybody enjoyed today's podcast. Trevor, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for inviting me. All right. Uh, if you guys don't join us in the Rumble Only segment, please make sure you guys go follow Trevor on uh, Twitter. Uh, go follow his locals. Meanwhile, with Trevor, he does some really great articles. He wrote a great one about lit. He does some great reviews of books, TV shows, all kinds of pop culture media. He has really great insight. So please make sure you guys go give him a follow. Thank you. All right. We will see you guys over there. <laughs>